0: morning, we want to thank you, uh, and we want to turn our attention to you uh, as best we can. pray that you would teach us, that you would help us to focus, that all the distractions that we brought into this day, this morning, we would kind of fall away, and all that we would be left is you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. A little dark out there. Uh, Welcome to the warm and welcoming uh, room of Platehouse Christian Church. Uh, is anyone warm out there? I don't know. I saw people sweating during setup like I have never seen before. Um, that was fun. Uh, we In Mombasa, we used to meet in a church that had no windows, so it was just kind of a, a building, and then there was bricks that had holes in it, and so you're basically sitting outside and hoping that there's, there's electricity so that the fan above you, there's like six of them spread out, and there's like little clumps of people underneath all of the fans and stuff, and then when it goes, like, oh, man, so that's when my hour-long sermons get really long, um, and you just sit there and sweat. Again, my name is Trenton. Uh, I'm getting some water here. Probably because I'm hot and thirsty, but because we're going to kind of go fast and furious here. Uh, I get the privilege of giving the message, the third message, in a four-part message series called A Faith Worth Sharing. And today we're going to talk about knowing why you believe it. Knowing why you believe it. Uh, Lots of stuff to say. Kind of a preface. We are not going to be able to cover every reason why you should believe and have confidence that the faith you have is real and true. We have like 35 and 40 minutes, okay? My hope is that you guys would maybe uh, grasp onto a word or a concept or an idea, jot it down and kind of allow God to speak to you through that or a question that has been bothering you and you need to kind of track down. My journey to faith came out of of an atheistic context, an anti-theistic context, where I believed that there was no God and all that kind of stuff. And then I became a Christian. I wish in some ways that my journey was the result of strict, you know, academic, rigorous, intellectual pursuit. And then at the end of the day, I kind of just took this little small step into faith. The reality was, was I hadn't, read my, I hadn't read a Bible because I didn't own one, okay? I had gone to church a, whole, a number of times because remember my pretty girlfriend who then turned out to be my wife, my, her grandma told me I had to go. So I had gone a few times. And then when the preacher or the pastor up front started talking about the gospel, there was something inside of me that said, that is true and you need to step up and walk to the front because that's what we used to do. And I would sit down and not go anywhere. Um, I just knew that it was true, and so when I said yes, I did so because I felt like inside that God spoke to me and said it was true, and I was happy, and I was saved. The challenge came after, because I had grown up with a different worldview than w- that was captured in the scriptures, and so then reconciling that was very, very painful. Uh, painful meaning waking up and saying, Are you, am I a Christian? Ha- have I just <laughs> joined a cult? <laughs> like... Did I just like join a fairy tale kind of group where people just get together for fun and community and but it's like not true? I had some serious, serious questions at the beginning of my journey, and to be honest, all throughout. All throughout. Um, we're gonna talk about having confidence in knowing that what you believe is true, but I do want to make a distinction as we as we kind of start out. There is a difference between knowing and showing or demonstrating. I believe that you know you're a Christian because God has revealed that to you in here, that God's spirit has testified to your spirit that you're a child of God. You don't have to have read the scriptures. You don't have to have studied philosophy or religion or anything like that, that God can reveal that to you, and you know primarily because God has revealed that to you. Like when I became a Christian, I heard the gospel, and I'm like, "That, that is me, and that is true, if you were to ask me why, I would say uh, I don't know. If you were asking me why does God exist, or do you believe why do you think the Scripture is true, or do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, uh, I would have no idea. And to be honest, if that's you and you believe in Jesus and you have a relationship with Jesus and you have no questions or anything like that and you haven't done any study, you're fine. Knowing in your heart that something is true, knowing you have a relationship with God, is different than being able to show or demonstrate. Some people feel like, well, then if I can't show, then maybe I don't know. And that that isn't necessarily true, okay? So we're going to go through some things for me as I began to wrestle, as I began to reflect upon for the first time in my life, these truths and what they meant and how they how I can how how I believe them to be true as well as the consequences of them that have been helpful for me. You may be here, the first guy on the left, right? You may be doubting and you might have all these kind of problems either before becoming a Christian or as you sit in your seat. You may have questions like whatever they are. Okay? You as a Christian or as a non-Christian. And I think that for us here, we will probably have some of those things going on, as well as we will engage, as we engage the world, many of whom do not share the same worldview that we have, you will engage people that have doubts and questions because one, they're committed to another worldview or they think they are. And we need to be able to help Lift people up and help them understand the hope that they can have in Jesus, both people that have never heard as well as our brothers and sisters right next to us. And so somewhere along the line, this message will probably hit you somewhere. As I reflected upon my newfound faith and and began to try to reconcile things, there are certain truths that kind of came up that have been instructive for me, and I'm going to share them very quickly with you. The first is, where you learn something, who you learn it from, or how you learn it doesn't have anything to do with whether it's true. And you're like, well, that makes sense, but then let's just apply that, okay? I grew up, I I assumed that an atheistic worldview, a relativistic worldview where truth is kind of dependent upon the person was true. Why did I believe that? Pretty much because that's the people around me. None of my parents, friends, parents, you know, people that I knew were Christian. And so this is kind of the place that we knew, the thing that I knew. I didn't, I didn't understand why. I didn't understand the consequences of that. And that truth right there, as I began to reflect upon it, started to make sense of other things that I had trouble with. When I became a Christian, I learned that in order to be saved, you need to accept Jesus. And my first thought was, well, what about the girl in Afghanistan who's never going to hear about Jesus? If we apply this truth, which is true, okay, to to this, then the likelihood of someone growing up in Afghanistan and becoming a Muslim is very, very high, partly because they're all Muslim, and if you're a Christian, you die. So the, the, the incentive to become a Christian is pretty low, okay, and the ability for people to understand it is pretty low, too. But the likelihood of someone becoming something has nothing to do with whether it's true or not. So the fact that I grew up in a Christian country, okay, doesn't mean that Christianity is true. The fact that you grew up in a Christian home doesn't mean that Christianity is true. How you learn something, who you learn it from, smart or not smart, professor at UW in philosophy or what, microbiology or physics or something, who you learn it from and how you learn it has no bearing on whether it's true or not. The second, it is not the fervor with which one someone believes something, but the truthfulness of the something in which one believes that is most important. We live in a culture and a time where passion rules the day. Emotion rules the day. I get to decide, and I decide that this is right, this is wrong, and I get to e- express my, my beliefs in a passionate way, and you know what? It has nothing to do with whether it's true or not. There's a law of gravity. A law of gravity. My feeling about the law of gravity has no bearing on whether the gravity exists or not. I can like it. I can be really happy about it. I can be passionate about the law of gravity. I could hate it. I could dislike it. I could really not believe it. However, if I jump off a building, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to fly. No. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to hit the ground. My beliefs, how strong they are, are independent of whether that thing's true or not. And the last thing is, Two opposite things can't be true at the same time. And you're like, oh, I know that. As we get farther along, people who have a relativistic worldview where all truth is subjective because it's going to run into some problems, it's okay for you to believe that, and it's okay for you to believe that, it's okay for you to believe that. Everyone's got their own truth. What about ISIS? I don't think it's okay to cut off kids' heads for, for the fact that they're Christian. They do. They do. Two opposite things can't be true at the same time, and if we'll get into that later. (laughs) This is what started happening for me, and this quote captures some of what has been helpful for me in my journey. C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. I became a Christian. And I started to understand things about the nature of the world that only made sense because of this newfound faith that I had. And that actually, upon reflection, the worldview that I had before didn't actually hold together. There are two things about worldviews or truth that are important. And we're not going to go through them. But coherence, does my worldview cohere together? And correspondence, does it correspond to the, na- to the reality that we, we, we live? And Every single worldview that I've looked at fails in one of those two things. They either don't cohere together, means there's a a problem logically or something in them, or they don't don't correspond with reality. And what I started to find was that Christianity not only gave me the understanding of what happened to me in here, but it also gave me an understanding of what was happening out there. It opened my eyes to the the way the world actually was. And so this morning we're going to look at a verse, sorry, we're going to look at a verse in a second and I'm going to share a couple of questions f- with you that I ask of other people and I ask of myself. I actually do this, Try to. it may not fit with you, I'm guessing it probably doesn't, but this is what I would do in, in, with Muslims and Hindus and other people and I would ask that you would maybe think about it for yourself and apply it. Why are you a, whatever, I would meet people in a tuk-tuk. It's a kind of a motorized, whatever you call it, like 3 little thing. It's, you have to kind of pray before you get in because the chances of you living on the other side is, is about 50-50. <laughs> um, but you only get to pay a buck for it, so it's cheap. Um, why are you a, I would meet people in a store and different things. And if we got invited to people's houses, I would ask them a question. I would ask them, why are you a Muslim? We'd, have, we'd have, I'd have my barber and everything. He's a really strong Muslim. And Why are you Muslim? And they'd like shake their head and go, what are you talking about? I said, why are you Muslim? And they'd say, well, my family's Muslim. This whole city is Muslim. <laughs> All of my family is Muslim. And, and this is where you want to kind of be careful about how you say this next thing if you want to say it. I say, well, that's not a good reason to be anything. You're telling me, and I went with my friends, my Muslim friends, I say, you're telling me that you're something because of something else is so- someone else's something? Oh, that's a silly reason to be anything. And what it would, what it would lead into is, like, well, what are you? Well, I'm a Christian. So your family's Christian? No? So then why are you a Christian? Ta-da! And then I go get to tell them what happened to me and then why I believe that worldview is true, and they get to kind of hear that how did you come to that conclusion? When you're interacting with people, I think some of the fear that we have in talking about our faith and having spiritual conversations is that you don't want them to ask you that. You don't want them to ask you, so why do you believe what you believe? In having conversations with people, one of the most powerful ways to engage and come up with spiritual conversation is asking questions. Stay in this seat, which is the driver's seat of the conversation, and ask people questions. And what a great conversation, Great, great question to ask people is what do you believe and how, do you, how did you come to that conclusion? Why do you think that? Why do you think that? And help them under, and try to understand what is behind some of their, their, their what amounts to be assertions. Okay? An assertion is a claim to truth. That's it. An assertion is different from an argument because an argument is a claim to truth with reasons behind it. Much of what you will hear Okay, when you interact with people are assertions. I don't believe that God exists. Oh, that's cool. I, I do. Why, how did you come to that conclusion? What are the reasons why? And you don't have to do it in like a, you know, hammering sort of way. Just, oh, that's, that's interesting. I, I, I used to believe that too. What are the what are reasons why you believe that? I believe that Muhammad is the prophet and, you know, or God, Allah is God and Muhammad is his prophet. Oh, interesting. Why do you believe that? How did you come to that conclusion? And you can go pretty far into a conversation by just asking questions. Okay? And, and as you go further and further and further, what you'll find is that it's actually pretty easy to have conversations. I am, by nature, an introvert. I know you're like, there's a lot of people in here for you to be <laughs> by yourself. Okay? I don't gain energy from this. I will go home and sleep like a rock afterwards. Okay? I don't... I don't naturally like talking to people that I don't know. So then part of my fear is they're going to ask me a question that I don't know. So then basically I just ask people lots of questions. <laughs> okay, what's your name? What do you do? All the way down. And I hardly ever need to share specifically questions that they ask me. They end up asking me what I am, what, and then I just get to share, share that kind of stuff. What are the consequences of your belief? We're not going to get there today, but I actually think this is pretty important for us in here because a relativistic ethic which says that I get to choose the truths that are true for me, if applied to a Christian worldview, means you have beliefs and you live, possibly have beliefs, and you live like you want to, but not as a Christian. You can take the truths that you want and apply them for yourselves, and when you read other, quote, truths in the Bible, you reject them. Because the consequences of certain beliefs, we don't actually follow through with them. They're tied to nothing. Take any belief that you have. I believe that we should have racial equity. I believe that there should be justice. I believe that discrimination is bad. I believe that whatever it is that, try to get back to why you have that belief or what are the consequences of those things both ways. How do I hold them and where do they lead? And it's helpful and instructive for us. We're going to do that with John 1. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Awesome verse. Very cool verse. And we tend to read it and then move on to the rest of John. Okay, okay. When we talk about knowing why we believe it, when we talk about having understanding about our worldview, what I would ask you to do in some ways is pause when you come across truths. Ask yourself, does that correspond with reality? Ask yourself, what follows from this truth? We tend to look at spiritual readings and say, what spiritual import does this verse or this passage or this set of passages, this book, have for me? And then I work to apply that. I think that is awesome. There is another sense in which the scriptures describe the nature of reality that we participate in. A nature of reality that other people, every single other person in this world, participates in by virtue of them living. And the better we understand the consequences, the underpinnings, and the foundations of our beliefs and faith, then the better we can interact. And we can learn a lot from this. In, in John chapter 1, we learn that there is a God and that everything that's been created got created through Jesus. John 1, 14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? So this passage talks about Jesus who before there was creation, through him everything that's, everything's been created. And you're like, awesome, Jesus is creator God. What are, the consequence, what are some possible consequences of that? Well, we learned that Jesus is God. He's prior to creation, so he's co-equal with God. What does that mean? That means he's not the Muslim Jesus. Two things can't be opposite and true at the same time. Muslims believe that Jesus is a man, he's a prophet, he's a really good prophet, and he's going to come back and judge the earth, but he's just a guy. If a worldview has a claim that is opposite of what you know to be true, that worldview is no longer true or an option. He can't be the Jesus or the God of Hinduism because the God of Hinduism is a pantheistic God of which is co-equal with creation. You can't be co-equal with the thing that you bring into existence. And so then he is not a Hindu God. If you eliminate Hinduism and Islam from your, your thing, you're eliminating like a massive percentage of the, the population in this world. And if you go into Christian cults, Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses, and I don't use cult as a... As a as a put down just say, a difference in within uh, ideas about who Jesus is and stuff like that. Most other Christian cults or things don't have Jesus as the uncreated being. Jehovah's Witnesses, he's a created guy. Jesus is, in Mormonism, he is kind of a created co-whatever, uh, uh, and it, it doesn't work out. So he's not a Muslim God. He's not a Jesus he's not a Hindu Jesus, he's not a Mormon, Jehovah's Witness and a whole whole slew of others because you can't be God man and God and not God at the same time. You can't be man and God and just a man at the same time. So when we talk about what we learn, okay, how to apply and think well and have confidence in the faith that you have, it's helpful, okay, to pause and say what are the consequences of belief in this? If we start with God, and we'll just park here for just a few minutes, okay, I think there are a couple reasons why you can have confidence in the God of the scriptures and in Jesus, and we'll start with this, this question, why? Why do you believe, if I were to ask you, why do you believe that God exists? Many of us, okay, myself included, would say, I believe that God exists because I've had an encounter with him. For people that don't share your faith, that's not super helpful if they have a question that follows that because they already have had an experience with the God of Islam or some kind of Hindu or some kind of Wiccan or some kind of whatever that may or may not be more powerful than the, the, than the experience and relationship or whatever they, you, they think they have than yours. So experience is a, is a kind of a cancel-outer for some people. I think one of the reasons we can give for people, and it may give us confidence for those that are sitting, you know, and having questions, is start with what, the answer to why. I think that the answer we someone could give or think about is God is the best explanation for the way things are, that when you look at the world, when you experience things, that God is the best explanation. I stole this from Greg Kokel at Stand to Reason, an apologetics organization, that God is the best explanation for the way things are. And I listed three areas on the right that, which there are a ton more, and I don't even know if we're going to get to all of these, but the universe, meaning, and morality. Remember, why are you something? Where did you, how, what are the consequences of that, or how did you arrive at that? can be applied to us as it can be applied to other people. How does the universe exist? Why does the universe exist? If there, if there is meaning, if there is morality, if there is truth, if there is value, how do you explain that? Remember, a lot of us kind of jump in midstream and just assume that the universe is here. I don't exactly know why. Is that important? We're like right here. There's meaning, right? (laughs) I experience meaning. There's morality. If you ask somebody what grounds you have to believe what they believe, the vast majority of people will not have thought about that. Why do you believe this? Why do you believe that? Our universe, and we're not going to go through all of this stuff, but I'll kind of touch on uh, the highlights. Our universe, if you can kind of conceptualize this, kind of circle and or cone, includes all time, matter, space, and energy. Okay? It's relatively everything that there is. Okay? The question is, how does it come here, or how does it exist? For a long time, prior to the mid-century last, you know, mid, middle of last century, with Edwin Hubble and the Big Bang cosmology, everyone thought, it, everyone thought it was eternal. There was just eternal matter, eternal stuff all the way back. It flew in the face of what philosophers call the problem of an infinite regress, okay? But they tried to ignore it. An infinite regress is the idea that there is not an actually infinite number of physical events going back. The, the story is kind of like, well, what does the earth sit on? Well, it sits on a turtle. Well, what does that turtle sit on? It just sits on a bigger turtle. Well, what does that sit on? It sits on a bigger turtle and a bigger turtle. Well, what's on the bottom? It just turtles all the way down. And you're like, what? What? how does it go turtles infinite number of turtles right there is a logical inconsistency but people kind of ignored it and then in, when edwin hubble started sense or started making taking measurements and started started seeing that space was expanding this way that that bodies were flying away at a, at, a, at a constant rate, what we call the expansion rate of the universe, then he started to understand that there was actually a beginning, this funnel thing. If you turn the clock backwards, if it's expanding this way, if you turn the clock backwards, then it will come to a particular point in time before which there was nothing. No time, no space, no matter. Okay, And we won't sit in this, let's talk about what time is, and then think about before time, or space and think about before space kind of stuff, but it's basically nothing, okay? The other one is that it created itself. And you're like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, it created itself. How does something create itself if it doesn't exist? And you're thinking, yeah, that's true. Let me read you a a quote um, and see if you can place it. Remember, where you learn something, who you learn it from, and how you learn it does not have any impact on the truth of it, okay? So when smart people say not-so-smart things, you don't actually have to believe it. Bodies such as, you don't have to believe what I say either, not that I'm a smart guy, bodies such as stars or black holes cannot just appear out of nothing, but a whole universe can because there is a law like gravity. The universe can and will create itself from nothing. Spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing. Why the universe exists, why we exist. It is not necessary to invoke God to light the blue touch paper and set the universe going. Who said that? Stephen Hawking, the grand designer. Good call, Principal Aaron. Gold star, gold star. It created itself out of nothing. Two things about that because we can't sit on this for very long, one, I am not a scientist on the level of Stephen Hawking, so I'm not going to critique his science. But when smart people say not-so-smart things, it's okay to question the conclusions that they make from those. In the beginning of his book, A Grand Designer, he says, philosophy is dead, made a lot of people upset saying, you look like an idiot. Philosophy is dead is not a scientific statement. It's a is a statement of philosophy. It's self-refuting. There are no objective truths is a self-refuting statement. It makes it's like blah 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 like it doesn't say anything, and then he follows it up with some of these things. It came into being out of nothing. One point about the word nothing, semantically, when, when philosophers and you and I talk about comes out of nothing, ex nihilo, we're talking about that time before which there was something, there is nothing, meaning the absence, the negation of anything, okay? Nothing, like literally nothing. How does the force of gravity, one, exist if there is nothing, two, exert itself on nothing and then cause something, Okay? The other thing is that when they talk about nothing, scientists, they tend to not mean nothing. Now, you could kind of trace it back in their journals and whatever. They tend to mean that they're applying this idea of quantum mechanics and quantum indeterminacy, this idea that below what you can see, things pop into being and out of being all the time, that in a quantum vacuum, which is, again, not, not nothing, okay, with energy, that things will pop into being out of nothing. The difference is that nothing is different than a quantum vacuum or a thing of which you can exert anything on. Okay, so when smart people say things, that you are totally within your rights to ask questions and stuff like that. The other explanation is that something or someone outside of it created it. This is our universe, kind of in a very condensed version. This is actually not our universe. I'm just kidding. Okay, I'm just seeing if you're paying attention. Okay, 13.7 billion years ago, if you wind back time past all the galaxies and planets and all that kind of stuff to the quantum fluctuations to the, to the very beginning, then you get what people call the singularity. The, to- the point at which this universe, everything that you see, started and came into being. Now, this is a physical universe. So, and time started here, space started here, energy started here, so whatever created it needs to be a timeless, spaceless, immaterial, super intelligent, extremely powerful being. I don't know how you define God. Like, I don't know what you would call that. We don't have to call it God. You could call it something else, okay? But we could just leave it there. When we talk about the nature of reality... Okay, And we talk about, when I talked about my eyes being opened to the world the way it actually was, I think science and philosophy, the turtle thing, can give us a confidence that there is God. I think the way that we experience the world also gives us an idea of that God exists. Morality meaning value. Do they exist or not? Think of the most egregious, evil, atrocious evil you can ever think of. Think of the greatest good that you could ever imagine. Think of words like justice and compassion, or rape or abuse of little children, selling people for, for, for money or, for, or enjoying them for fun. The reality is that all moral theory outside of one that posits the existence of God is all subjective. Whether you, it's individual ethics, whether it's social or, or cultural ethics, somebody or some group of people get to decide what's right for them, and then other people get to decide what's right for them. And the, if, that's, if that's true, then there is actually no real, no real evil, there is actually no real good, it's just a matter of opinion. And you have to ask yourself whether this reality, the way you experience things, actually reflects that truth or not. Because I think when a young kid gets raped over and over and over and over and over again for money, it's actually bad. It's not a matter of opinion. That the act itself, the objective act itself is actually bad, that you and I don't get to quibble or argue about whether that's good or bad or not. It's bad. I have run across a very, very slim few of people that are actually intellectually honest relativists and atheists that say, literally, I wouldn't want that to happen to me, I wouldn't want that to happen to someone I care for, but I can't say that it's wrong. In my mind, that's bunk, and that's garbage. When you talk about believing in something that doesn't exist, you have to ignore what you see to believe something that actually isn't true. That for me is ridiculous. What underpins people's experience of morality? God is the only one that is the best explanation for meaning, morality, and and value. And so I think we can have confidence that when we say we believe that God exists, he explains this better than anything, actually, well, better than anything that I've ever heard. When you ask people why do you believe that, how do you come to that conclusion, I tend to do this with close friends or family that I know are atheists, but are super hot about the elections, that hate, hate, literally despise this guy who has a quaff. Okay, let me say a couple things about that. One, uh, no, I won't say that. <laughs> okay. Okay if someone doesn't believe in God and says, hey, what that guy said was evil, my first question to them is, oh, what kind of Christian are you? Or what kind of theist are you? Oh, I'm not a theist. Oh, so what you mean by evil is you just don't like him. It's just a matter of opinion, but he's not really bad. No, no, I really mean he's bad. On what basis are you judging that I think he is? Oh, well, what if someone else thinks... It all falls apart, and and for those that are honest, they'll reflect upon the fact that they hold truths that they actually can't hold, and it makes people think about whether the worldview that they have is set on anything, or they've just kind of swallowed it whole cloth from the culture and, and media and their families and everything like that. Okay, it's why blue states are, tend to be blue and red states tend to be red and there isn't a whole lot of shift because you start believing certain things unreflected upon and it just kind of propagates certain things. It's why Christian families tend to stay Christian and Muslim families that people just start doing that. Truth is irrespective of how you learn it and where you learn it and all that kind of stuff. But the basis for the, the reality of morality, meaning, and value lie in God He's the foundation and the only one that we can have that makes sense. There is God we can talk about via science and philosophy and morality and ethics and values that's revealed in Scripture. When you open your Bible, okay, realize that you should have confidence and love reading a love letter, a history, a thing from God to you and what you read is what was written before, and what you read is from him. I used to think of the Bible as kind of a, a book, I don't even know, it, a book of kind of fairy tales that was just different than everyone else's fairy tales. Because it was just written by a bunch of guys over a long period of time, it was probably just their ideas, and people glommed onto it and said, oh, look, boom, there's Christianity. The first message is in 1 Corinthians 15, okay? When we talk about reliability, one of the most important things to think about is how close to the events do do we have testimony of. In 1 Corinthians 15, there's a couple of sayings in there that have been codified and captured already in about AD 40-45, which means they've been in existence prior to that. And people trace these sayings, okay, about Jesus, I pass on to you of first importance that Christ died according to the scriptures, that he was raised according to the scriptures, this, this codified thing to within two or three years of the resurrection. All of the books are written within the first century. Some, some argue within 40 years before AD 70, okay? And they're really early, too early for legend to creep in. There's too many copies for us to, to, point, to the, point to the idea that there's corruption, that what you read isn't actually what was written because we just have them all, early and a whole bunch of them, so you can compare. I used to have conversations all the time, all, all, all the time with Muslims because we didn't argue about the existence of God, they just thought that was silly. They just assumed that God existed, so we argued about which God it was. And there, the only way that they could kind of attack us was to say that our scriptures are corrupted, Why is that? Right, all these questions about, well, what informs this and what are the consequences? Because they have accounts in their Quran that mirror or mimic the accounts in the Bible, but they're different. Jesus didn't die on the cross. Written 700 years later by someone who has no access to the original account, the only way that they can say that theirs is true and ours is is, is that it's corrupted. Except if we, it's written super early and there's a whole bunch of copies and all that kind of stuff, then it's really hard to say that it's corrupted. And it's the only book of religious import that is historically and archaeologically accurate. Pick up any other one. Namely, one of the fastest growing in this country and in the world, Mormonism. And the history of the North Americas has no relevance or tie to anything that archaeology or history has here. Now, that doesn't mean it's necessarily false. Okay? If we're being honest. But if we're going to want to know, do we have confidence in what I read is true, then for me, I want it to be accurate. And prophecy. There are Dozens and dozens of sayings written six and seven hundred years prior to the birth of Jesus that he just kind of lives out. Where he was born, how he would live, what he would do, how he would die. That you can't just make up. There is also no other scripture of religious import that makes those claims and then fulfills them. So externally and internally, when you read the scripture, it is a book from God. And that everything in it is true. What we learn about Jesus, what we learn about God, what we learn about our world is true. And then when we experience, experience that and reflect upon how we experience life, we see that it's true as well. And it all points to Jesus, it all points to the cross and to the resurrection. That this creator God of the universe provides the basis for both meaning and value and purpose and everything like that. He also steps into human history and answers one of the questions that you and I always have why is there evil and suffering in this world if there's such a good God? We've already established that we have confidence that God is real by science and philosophy and, and morality and all that kind of stuff. We have confidence that the scriptures are true and what they say about Jesus is true. So he is the son of God. He is who he says he is. And then we're kind of left with this, well, I understand that, but what about evil? I actually think you could leave it at this, but most people don't. If using evil as an argument against existence of God posits that there is an evil, an actual evil, okay, But if God doesn't exist, then actual evil doesn't exist. So short from being an argument against the existence of God, the only reality in which evil actually exists is one in which God exists. So the argument either is a non-argument or is an argument for the existence of the one you're trying to disprove. So to be honest, there isn't a conversation. Either you're not saying anything you're just giving me an opinion of what's going on because God doesn't exist. Or you're just proving to me that God exists. And then we have a different conversation of which this is Jesus' answer to the problem of evil. He answers it and overcomes it. He's not, the God, he's not a God who pretends. okay, It doesn't exist and then lives like it. Okay, He's not a God that evil and suffering is illusory. Okay, like a pantheistic or Hindu God. He's not a God that's deterministic, that is in charge and the author of evil. He's not a God that, say, he's not a, a God that says, evil is just the lack of education and the ignorance of people. We need to educate it out of people and help them believe, behave rightly. Jesus' answer to the problem of evil as the creator God of this universe, as the moral authority of the, this universe is a step into our lives into our evil and our suffering, take that upon himself, and then rise again. And so when you and I walk out of these doors and live our life, I want you, us to do it with confidence. Confidence that you are a son or daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the creator God of this universe. Confidence, so that when you wake up in the morning, you have questions or doubts. There are answers that can undergird the faith that you have. And when you encounter other people that have questions and doubts, there are answers so that you don't have to have confidence just in you and how you feel. You have confidence that God is the best answer for everything that they see and the best answer for the issues and the problems that they have in their hearts. We have a faith worth sharing. And the more and more we understand why we believe what we believe, the better equipped we'll be, the more confidence we'll have to be used by God to share this truth with the needing world. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time where we can reflect and think well about your world and your reality and your truth. We thank you that you have made yourself known to us that you have revealed yourself in creation. And we can understand that through science and philosophy and all these things. That even in the way we experience the world and understand that there is a moral quality about the world, that it gives evidence that you are behind everything and you were before everything. We thank you, Lord Jesus, our creator God, that you stepped into our suffering and into our evil that, and overcame it that in you we need have life, here and now and in the life to come. And we can have confidence that when we go out, we can share this faith with a world that needs, 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 desperately needs to know you're there. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.